0: Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. This is a assault on voting rights. I think it's the wrong piece of legislation. I'm
1: not supporting that because I think it would divide us further. And get to 70% of adult Americans vaccinated. Step up. We're going to end this outbreak. Cyber attacks. Again, from Russia. This is an increasing threat. The latest report.
2: Great to be back in Greenville.
0: Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Hey, hey! It was a a huge weekend in uh, eastern North Carolina, and Greenville specifically. A big weekend for the Lamprecht family. Point of personal privilege. Lead story. The Lamprecht family is doing all it can to add to uh, the conservative Christian population. Bennett Michael Lusisano, my number six grandchild, was born Saturday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning, 1230. And uh, six pounds, three ounces, I think he was. Any good-looking kid got to hold him, got to see him yesterday. So uh, we are doing our part to uh, increase the uh, conservative population here. How about them pirates? Big game last night. East Carolina clinched its sixth berth to a Super Regional in program history in the wee hours of the morning. They didn't win it last night. They won it this morning, but 1 a.m. Pirates finished off a three-game sweep of the 2021 Greenville Regional inside Clark LeClaire Stadium with a 6-5 victory over my Maryland Terrapins. I was rooting for the Pirates. I was was at the University of Maryland for four years. Actually, I was there for about six years because I was working full-time. But, uh, I've been here for about 30 years, so, uh, Greenville wins. Uh, this would be the third super regional of the Cliff Godwin era. We, uh, went in 16, 19, and 21. Over 5,000 in attendance last night. The jungle was packed. The Pirates will now face Vanderbilt, the Commodores up in Nashville this coming weekend. They, too, had a late night game. Big victory over Georgia Tech. The, uh, Commodores hit a grand slam home run at the end of the game to overcome a four run deficit and uh, prevailing over Georgia Tech 14 to 11. That game went 11 innings. So uh, ECU will head up to Nashville this coming weekend to face uh, the Commodores. Pretty similar records. Uh, Vanderbilt's got some good pitching, so do we. But uh, their record's 43-15, and 15, East Carolina 44-15. and 15. Sorry to tell you that um, this afternoon, the uh, Campbell Camels did not uh, get to the Super Regional. They ended up losing to Mississippi State. They would have had to play Mississippi State a second time had they won that game. Uh, the Arkansas game, that's a surprise. Arkansas uh, and Nebraska—they'll end up playing another game tonight at 7 p.m. And uh, if Nebraska were, they, Nebraska beat Arkansas yesterday. If they were to beat them again, the number one seed in uh, baseball, college baseball, will go down. That would be a, a huge victory. Teams advancing, and there—I think there's a total of seven teams that have have to play an additional game. Today, but teams advancing Texas, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Arizona, Texas Tech, and now Mississippi State, Notre Dame, East Carolina, and uh, North Carolina State. Congratulations to the Wolfpack. So, uh, fun, fun time of the year if you live, uh, love ca- college baseball. And obviously, uh, we here in uh, the eastern part of North Carolina love it. Uh, the other big news over the weekend, of course, was Donald Trump was in town. There were some pr- uh, surprise moments. Saturday night, a lot of what was said you expected. I mean, you expected Donald Trump to give a Trump speech. I mean, the guy went 90 minutes, which is par for the course. I actually thought he might shorten it up a little bit, but uh, he went 90 minutes. Uh, Always entertaining. The two two surprises were, first of all, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, who we've had in studio and on this program a number of times. Of course, she graduated from uh, North Carolina State. she got a brother that went to uh, East Carolina. Uh, Her folks are from Wilmington. They were up Saturday night. She made an announcement that a lot of people have been waiting on. This is cut one. She will not be running for the U.S. Senate.
3: Now, you may have heard a rumor that I have been considering possibly running for a Senate seat here in North Carolina. So I have been considering it, and it's a big decision in case nobody knew. It's a very big deal. And look, it's something I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of thinking, talking with my father-in-law, my parents, my husband, Eric. And because of the values my parents instilled in me, they taught me that when you do something, you give 100%. That is the only way to operate. And because of my two kids who are very young, one and three, Carolina and Luke, it is going to be very hard for me to enter this Senate race right now. But I am saying no for now, not no forever. Just because my name is not on the ballot does not mean I am not fighting every step of the way with you here in North Carolina. Because if we're being honest, this is so much bigger than a Senate seat. It's about the future of America. We have to fight for our conservative values. We have to have a person in that Senate seat who represents North Carolina and is going to lead this country in the right direction. No for now, not no forever, at the right time, I would absolutely love to come back and consider running for something here in my home state because I love it dearly.
0: Well, I think she made the right decision. And actually, not to pat myself on the back too hard, but... I said a while back, I didn't think she'd be running. And, and I said, because she's got two small kids, I, I am happy she's not running. And uh, I would be happy for her to run. I, I I think she's she would make a great candidate. She's conservative. She's articulate. She's attractive. I think she'd make a good candidate. But, Laura, you need to move here and establish yourself first for a year or two don't decide to run and then move here. Move here if you want to run in North Carolina. If not, run where you are currently living. Just saying. I, I, I did not like it when Hillary did this. I did not like it when Elizabeth Dole did this. Move to the state, live there, and once you're established, run. I, I realize you grew up here, but you haven't lived here for how many years? Been a few uh, and, and again, don't get mad at me. I love Laura Trump, but I think we ought to have people that live in the state. I don't think we need people to move to the state just to run. Uh, the big surprise, though, this was the, the a much bigger surprise than Laura Trump. I think eventually she would come out. I was surprised she made that announcement when she did. But the second surprise came just moments later. Donald Trump speaking to a sold-out North Carolina Republican Party convention, he made an early endorsement in the 2022 primary for the U.S. Senate, choosing 13th District Congressman Ted Budd over Mark Walker and former Governor Pat McQuarrie. Here's Donald Trump.
2: There's somebody in this room that I think is very special, somebody that I've worked with, always been with me, a man that uh, hasn't been pushing me at all, unlike some of the others that are running that won't win. This man's a great politician, but more importantly, he's somebody that loves the state of North Carolina. He loves the country. But this gentleman is going to be your next senator. He's going to be somebody that you're going to be so proud of. He will fight like hell. And a lot of you don't know him that well, but you're going to know him probably within about two minutes. Ted Budd, please come up. Please come up. Please come up, Ted. I am giving him my complete and total endorsement. We're going to work with him. We're going to campaign with him. You can't pick people that have already lost two races. You can't pick people that have already lost two races and do not stand for our values. So I'm going with Congressman Ted Budd, complete and total endorsement. Come on up, Ted.
1: Wow, Mr. President, thank you so much. You know, and and go back to 2016. I was in a 17-way race and... won won that primary and got here. I was a business guy that never run for office. I think maybe you had an 18-way primary, right? And you, 18-way. We came in and we fought for the forgotten men and women of America. And Laura, your father-in-law and you, you fought for me in 2018. The Dems outspent me two to one in the worst Republican district. And with your help, Mr. President, and Laura, you coming in to help, we won. In 2020, Laura, we fought together. We fought to help Tom Tillis win. We fought to keep the North Carolina legislature. We fought for North Carolina judges. You're a heck of a teammate, and you'd be a heck of a senator. Mr. President, Laura, this means the world to me. Thank you. we got a lot of hard work ahead, so let's win this together, and let's get back to making America great again.
0: That is huge for Ted Budd. the, The latest polling showed that Pat McCrory was leading the field with 40% of the vote. Walker, Mark Walker, was uh, in second with 10.5. Ted Budd at 4.8%. 44% of the respondents were undecided, which is which is a ch- huge chunk. You know, it, uh, chunk, in early polling, people often identify that they are for the name that they recognize. Once they find out more about the individual, some of those numbers will change. But did you hear what Trump said, which was a direct shot at Pat McQuarrie? You can't pick people who have already lost two races. You can't pick people who don't share our values. I mean, a, a clear shot at, at Pat McQuarrie. McQuarrie, of course, the former Charlotte mayor, defeated twice in statewide races for governor in 2008 and 2016. There are a number of people out there that said Pat McQuarrie did not lose in 2016. In between the two losses, McQuarrie became just the third Republican governor in modern North Carolina history with a successful uh, election to the governor's mansion in 2012. McQuarrie released a statement shortly after Trump's surprise endorsement. And by the way, this, this is really, really awkward. For the North Carolina Republican Party, if you remember when we had Sarah Newby on, who is heads up, um, is one of the, the folks that runs the zone uh, staff at the North Carolina Republican Party, um, working for uh, uh, the party there. And Michael Watley, she had said, well, you know, we're not we don't endorse anybody at these conventions. They were going to let everybody get up and speak. And they did a straw poll. By the way, Walker won the straw poll. Uh, McCrory didn't. Ted Budd didn't. Walker did. But it really puts Watley in an awkward position that suddenly the North Carolina Republican Party, which is not going to endorse anyone because they want everyone to have a fair shake, at their convention, the president, and obviously the president has Pretty much uh, he could do whatever he wants to do when he gets up and speaks. Well, he got him and He also got up and endorsed Ted Budd. And will this be enough to uh, usher in Ted Budd as the next senator? No. Uh, will it have a pretty heavy-duty impact, though? Yes. I think that's that's clear. McCory was not happy. He said, I'm disappointed that President Trump has endorsed a Washington insider who has done more to oppose the Trump agenda than anyone else in this race. We will win this race, the primary and the general. Quote, he goes on to say, quote, Ted Budd opposed President Trump's plan to secure the border, to support our farmers, to repeal Obamacare. He even voted against President Trump's COVID vaccines. Now he'll do even more to defeat President Trump's agenda if he's the president's nominee, by giving our seat in the U.S. Senate to Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. I don't think Ted Budd was even in Congress when um, Obamacare became the law of the land. In fact, I'm I'm sure he wasn't. Um, He goes on to say, Ted Budd's bought and paid for Washington Insider voting record is not electable in North Carolina if supporters of President Trump want his agenda to be supported in the U.S. Senate, they should not vote for Ted Budd, who has opposed him at every turn and who would lose to the far left next November. Now, I'm not uh, making a decision uh, on uh, who the best candidate is right here, but. Uh, And I actually uh, tried to get a hold of Ted Budd today, was not successful. I've left a bunch of messages. Maybe we can get him one later in the week to get his reaction to the statement by Pat McCrory. I have a hard, hard time (laughs) believing that um, Donald Trump would endorse someone that fits the description that Pat McCrory gave of Ted Budd. Just saying. I, I, I I think Pat maybe made a little bit of an overstatement there. But, uh, look, we're a long way away from November of 2022, and uh, we'll see where that goes. But th- this, this has got to be huge for Ted Budd. I, would, I mean, this made national news. I would think the phones are ringing off the hook at the uh, Ted Budd campaign office. I would think uh, he's going to see uh, a few dollars come in. It's, you know, it's going to be interesting, though. Mark Walker, uh, so in the polling, Pat McCory is ahead by a long shot. Oh, well, actually, Undecided is ahead by a long shot. Pat McCory comes in second at 40%. Undecided is 44%. Mark Walker at 10%. Ted But at 4%. Will individuals be upset that uh, Donald Trump is telling you how to vote? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, By the way, um, Michael Watley was reelected as the uh, chair to continue as the chair. He was unopposed. Uh, He'd done a great job and uh, had a chance to meet with him just for a few minutes uh, over at the convention on Friday afternoon before we uh, did our broadcast. By the way, thanks for everybody that uh, came by to the broadcast Friday afternoon. We had a good crowd there um benny and i and uh, clark clark by the way did a great job with uh, putting that remote together thank you clark kudos to our producer clark willis um but uh, it was it was a lot of fun had a had a great crowd there had um dale falwell the north carolina treasurer had um uh the lieutenant governor mark robinson there greg murphy was there by the way greg if you're listening in i got more kudos uh, for the job that you are doing in Congress and uh, that interview. that I mean, there's a lot of impressive uh, comments came back your way. And uh, Mark Robinson always has impressive comments. But then uh, the House Speaker, uh, Tim Moore, did a great job as well. Lots more to talk about. Get to your phone calls, 561-8255. We've got to take a time out. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 1037. Welcome back in. Take a look at your weather forecast. Uh, between now and uh, pretty much Friday, you're going to have a high in the mid 80s with about a 50% chance of rain. In the evenings, overnight, your lows are going to be around 70 with a 50% chance of rain. So uh, if you like today's weather, you'll enjoy the week. Just saying. By the way, I just heard back from Ted Budd's office. We are scheduled to have Congressman Ted Budd on Wednesday at 520. So uh, looking forward to that. If you want to hear from uh, the congressman, potentially the next U.S. senator from the state of North Carolina to replace Richard Burr, we'll have him on Wednesday. 561-8255. Josh from Bath has been holding patiently. Hey, Josh, how are you, sir?
4: How are you all doing today? I, uh, I have the luck and foresight to be your first caller after the praises that you had there for Ted Budd. I am so glad that uh, the former President Trump uh, was able to endorse him. Yet, however, I, I don't really know how well he's going to fare against the Democrat challengers. Uh, but my, my important insight into this is it is at the very least disingenuous and at the very worst, the height of irony for Pat McCrory to call anyone bought and paid for. I, uh, I feel like that's not the good route for him to go in this campaign. <laughs> with, with all the work that he did for uh, Duke and Dominion, and uh, I, I've heard people describe him as replacing a rhino with a Democrat going from him to Cooper. And uh, that I, I even heard one person say, at least we know Cooper's bought and paid for by the Democrat Party. Uh, you had to guess which business uh, McCrory was selling
0: to. Well, I will say this: I think when Pat McCrory was the governor, he worked very well with the legislature. There wasn't any real disappointments. I I don't know that uh, Pat McCrory is. I, I would say he he doesn't come across to me as a die-hard conservative. But he, I think he played well, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I think he, as the governor, worked well with the conservatives that were in the North Carolina House and North Carolina Senate. I really wasn't disappointed with him as a governor. In fact, I was encouraged. Uh, I, I, I wish that he had stood a little stronger when it came to uh, some of the social issues that we were, were fighting at the time. But, um, I, you know, in terms when you say bought and paid for, I do know that. In the western part of the state, whether or not it's uh, proper or or right to put the blame at Pat McCrory's feet, there were a lot of people that were very, very upset with the whole I-77 uh, corridor going up uh, through Mooresville and Huntersville in that area and how it was going to be a toll road. And, you know, that that happened about the time that the vote was taken. You know, the controversy of that happened right about the time that the vote was being taken for governor when it was Cooper and McQuarrie last time around. And uh, a lot of people there either either stayed home or didn't vote. A lot of Republicans didn't vote. If you look at the, the numbers, it's, it's pretty obvious that he did not have the support he needed to have in in North Charlotte at the time. So um, Yeah,
4: I, I think being that he was coming from the Charlotte area, as was his base, and to see that some of the same areas were the ones that had, uh, shall we say, probably should have been audited, uh, I, I would say that that's probably another of his real weaknesses in this race.
0: Well, I will also look forward to hear what Pat uh, or what uh, Ted Budd has to say in the comments that Pat McCrory made about Ted Budd in terms of him not being a uh, Trump supporter. Uh, I, again, I I don't know a whole lot about Ted Budd uh, going into this interview. I'll do some homework between now and then. But, again, I have a hard time believing that Donald Trump wouldn't have done his homework and found out before he makes an endorsement, found out exactly what Ted Budd stands for. You know, the one interesting thing that I have heard about Ted Budd and, and Mark Walker— um, apparently they're both good friends. You know, they, there was when they redid the districts because things went back to court a couple of years ago, uh, Mark Walker and Ted Budd found themselves in the same congressional district and they would have had to run against one another for the, uh, for, for that particular district, which is now district 11. And, uh, Mark Walker went to Ted Budd and said, you know what? Uh, I, now I don't know that at the time whether or not he he told Ted that he planned to run for the Senate, but he said I'm going to step aside and, and I'll let you run for the Senate, and we'll just see what else, you know, the the Lord has for me down the road. And of course, Mark Walker jumped into the Senate race early on, and then Ted Bud jumped in after him. Uh, and some people have said eh, that doesn't seem like it sits right after Mark. You know, basically tipped his hat and said, uh, "Hey, I'll let you run, Ted." And and uh, we'll just, you know, I, I'm going to ask him about that on Wednesday. You know, how that, you know, how that all transpired. But uh, I, I would say this that um, I would say that all three of the people that have announced that they're running, McCory, Ted Budd, and Mark Walker, uh, I think any one of them would be substantially better than uh, Richard Burr, who's uh, basically just preparing to sit on board of directors uh, after he retires from the U.S. Senate, take his pension and get a bunch of board of directors jobs and go from there. Agreed. Hey, thanks for the call, Josh. Good to hear from you. Five six one eight two five five. if you want to join us. You know, it's interesting, there was an extensive analysis uh, that was done by Democrats concerning what went right and what went wrong for Democrats in the 2020 elections. Uh, th- these were basically liberal groups that wanted to do as much as they could for minorities and just helping the uh, agenda of progressives. But they they tried to do an analysis, okay, how could we have done this better? Uh, the findings warn that the party could see a... Support drop with black, Hispanics, and Asian American voters in future contests unless Democrats do a more effective job countering Republican attacks. Now, what's interesting about this is they're upset because they say that Republicans are attacking them. And they're looking at the things that progressives, the Republicans are looking at things that progressives are doing and calling them radical. And they think that this is attacking Democrats. And so, therefore, the Democrats need to do a more effective job countering Republicans' attacks. The Republicans don't have to do a lot of attacking. The Democrat policies from these progressives speak for themselves. (laughs) The Republicans, I mean, they consider it attacking when Republicans merely point out what the Democrats are doing. Well, Democrats, well, some people say they won the White House. They... uh, Got to 50 votes in the Senate. And, of course, they've got Kamala Harris to tie, uh, break the ties. Uh, in the House, they got shellacked, though. Was it five more seats and the Republicans will take control of the House? Take it back from uh, Queen Nancy. A 73 autopsy of the 2020 contest compiled by three pro-Democratic groups' spotlights that many House and some Senate Democrats underperformed at the ballot box. Quote, the 2020 election was a mixed bag for Democrats, while thrilled with the Biden win and the new tie in the Senate, expected victories in many contested races failed to materialize, and the party lost significant grounds in the House, reads the introduction to the report. The analysis, which was first reported by the New York Times, points to specific electoral setbacks with Spanish, Spanish-speaking voters in Florida and Texas, black voters in North Carolina— and Asian voters in California as it argues that Democrats failed to convey a consistent core message on the economy last year and lean too heavily on anti-Trump rhetoric. Well, maybe it's these people that you're talking about actually like Donald Trump. You ever thought of that? I mean, see, the Democrats assume that if they go out there and they're pro immigration, pro illegal immigration. I I I think every you know, Republicans are pro immigration, but they're pro immigration on a legal basis. But the Democrats somehow think in the back of their mind, oh, well, you know, if if we do all we can to allow illegals in, that's going to help us with Hispanics at the ballot box. And yet if you look at the statistics, if you look at the poll numbers, no it doesn't. It hurts you. Because people who have come into this country legally don't want to see illegals come across the border and try to bypass everybody who is standing in the legal line to automatically get in. Blacks across the country voted in record numbers for Donald Trump. Why? Because he actually did what he said he was going to do. He stood for the morals, the family values, that many uh, black Americans stand for, I mean, even though, you know, we we have – look, and whether you're white or black, the the fatherless families in our country are astronomical. But traditional values Donald Trump embraced and many black families embraced. But the economy and jobs, that was the big thing. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the Democrats love to, you know, overtax people and talk about, you know, what is fair and what is – Decent and everybody paying their fair share. Bottom line is when you look at job growth and salary growth, income growth, the poor, the lower income folks had the biggest gains under Donald Trump than anybody else. Among their findings, this uh, report goes on to say, voters of color are persuasive voters who need to be convinced. Quote, Republican attempts to brand Democrats as radicals worked. They are radicals. Polling was a huge problem even after the 2016 adjustments. COVID-19 affected everything, and our hopes for 2020 were just too high. Now, they say all that, and at the end of the reports, the people that wrote this report up stressed that Democrats need to be, quote, to be unapologetic about race, and we need to explain to all Americans why we're doing so is beneficial to everyone. So apparently they're just totally clueless, because when they say that, what they're talking about is critical race theory, social justice, (laughs) affirmative action. I mean, they're all about critical race theory, and they don't even recognize the fact that the average American, black, white, Hispanic, Indian, whatever, they look at critical race theory and they say, "You're crazy. This is not this. These are not our values." And the Republicans don't have to get up and, and call you radical. You are radical. When you, when you look at the the sexual revolution, and you're promoting that a a, a six year old little boy ought to be given. Chemicals, or decide if he's a little girl. I mean, if you had your way, you'd you'd go ahead and uh, get, have have surgery without parental notification. This is how crazy you are, and and you get upset because you think it's wrong that we call you radical. I mean, it's radical that that you you sit there and nod in a ferment when a biological female comes out and says, "Oh, I'm a I'm a male," and a, a vice versa with a guy saying, "Oh, I'm a, a woman." And, you know, the average – I mean, if, if this conversation comes up in front of our grandkids, they look at me and say, Pops, you're, why would anybody do that? Don't they know if they're a boy or a girl, Pops? And I say, yeah, you, you, they, they, they probably do. But you got you got some radicals out there that want to change the narrative. It's unbelievable. So I'll say all this. If, if this is the road you want to continue to go down, and this is what they usually say – This is what they said when Donald Trump won in 2016. Every time Republicans win, it's not a matter of the Democrats. It has nothing to do with their policies. It has nothing to do with their agenda. They just say, well, the Republicans seem to have better communication. They seem to convey their message better. Now, you're conveying your message real clear and I I will say this. I am not happy that Joe Biden is in there. I don't think he was duly elected in a proper manner. I'm not happy that the Senate is 50-50. I'm not happy that we didn't take over the House. But but all in all, when you look at the the, uh, House races, uh, you look at a lot of the Senate races, you look at what is happening in a lot of conservative states, the governor mansions, the the uh, state legislatures and how conservatives are doing well in many states there. You look at all that and you think to yourself, OK, it's, it's not that bad. And the silver lining around all this is, again, it doesn't have to be rhetoric because the policies of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the likes of Nancy Pelosi and Chucky Schumer and Dickie Durbin and all the radicals, they are so, so whacked out that you are setting the table for Republicans in 2022. And again, I've said this over and over again. I'll say it again. The key is for 2022 that we need to make sure that we're doing everything now to make sure that we have fair, honest elections come two years, year and a half at this point. Hey, uh, we got to take another time out. Stay with us. Much more to come. Love to hear from you. 561-8255. News and Views continues right after this.
2: and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. Ultimate gentleman spy. Irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You
0: won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 1037.
4: Here's Tom Lembrek.
0: Welcome back in. So Kamala Harris finally made it down to uh, Latin America. She's visiting Guatemala. She told uh, potential immigrants, migrants, illegals, that they should not travel to the U.S.-Mexican border, claiming they would be turned back if they did. Quote, (laughs) yeah, well, that's what what the people down there are probably doing. Kamala, laughing at you. She said, I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making the dangerous trek to the United States-Mexican border, do not come, do not come, she said, Harris made the remarks at a press conference alongside Guatemalan President Alejandro Guillemate as she visited the country, her first visit abroad since being appointed by Biden 70-some days ago to lead diplomatic efforts to the region to help solve the massive spike in migration. What's interesting about this, though, is the Guatemalan president did an interview with CBS News just a couple of days ago, and, uh, and, and they talked about Harris's upcoming visit with CBS and the Guatemalan president said, "Okay, while the idea of let's try to help things back at home, uh, it is a lot of the blame in the surge has to do with the change of rhetoric and policy between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. So this is the Guatemalan president who's coming out and saying, it's not real clear what you're saying. We don't get it. Our people don't get it. You take over, the President Biden takes over, and they make all these grandiose comments about how we're going to be so compassionate, how we're going to reunite families. And this is the President of Guatemala saying this. And he says, and and suddenly, within 24 hours, you have these coyotes showing up and taking money from people to ship unaccompanied minors to the Mexican border. So they'll be let in. And then, of course, what happened initially under Biden? They let them in by the thousands. So what happened? More came. And now they're being overrun. Uh, Look, let me, again, this is malfeasance. This is not compassion. I mean, they try to sell this as, oh, look how compassionate. We're reuniting families. No, you're having people uh, lose their lives in the way, Drowned in the Rio Grande, women getting raped, children losing their lives. We saw coyotes dropping kids down from 20 feet, drop off of a wall into the United States. And and Biden wants to take a bow because he thinks he's so compassionate. The Guatemalan president, he knows what's going on. He was very complimentary to Trump. He said, look, you guys need to get your your policies and your rhetoric straight. Because you're messing with our people's minds. Speaking of Harris, Mina Harris, the vice president, the Kamala Harris's niece. I I don't know if you've been following her. She's a nut. I mean, she she's a radical. She is leading an attack on Joe uh, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia. And a bunch of liberals are going after the senator, calling him a white supremacist for refusing to back their partisan agenda. Harris retweeted a Twitter tirade posted by Jamal Hill. uh, She is the gal that was uh, she was so radical that ESPN kicked her off the air. She was an ESPN. I mean, you got to be pretty radical if ESPN uh, gives you the boot. Uh, Jamal Hill described Manchin as a cowardly, power-hungry white dude who was complicit in upholding white supremacy. Harris and Hill were hardly the only libs to attack Manchin after the senator announced his opposition to the Democratic Party's radical election reform bill and reiterated his opposition to eliminating the filibuster in an op-ed published in the Charleston Gazette-Mail. Quote, this is out of his op-ed, Quote, voting... And election reform that is done in a partisan manner will all but ensure partisan division continued to deepen, Manchin wrote. With that in mind, some Democrats have again proposed eliminating the filibuster uh, rule in order to pass the For the People Act with only Democrat support. They've attempted to demonize the filibuster and conveniently ignore how it has been critical to protecting the rights of Democrats in the past. Representative Monterre Jones from New York argued that Manchin's op-ed might as well be entitled, Why I'll Vote to Preserve Jim Crow. Ellie Mistel, justice correspondent for The Nation, asserted that Joe Manchin doesn't care about black people. Congressional candidate, this is typical, isn't it? When you can't win the argument, you attack the individual, and what is their favorite tool to attack the individual with? The race card. And they, they've done it again. Congressional candidate Isaiah James called the senator a white supremacist. Uh, Harris, the niece of Kamala Harris, continues to be one of the most controversial members of the vice president's family. She's what most observers would describe as extremely online, combining gener- uh, generic left wing activism with non political content, such as her recent Instagram posting uh, asking followers, Is it all right to post bathroom selfies? That's uh, that's classic. Unbelievable. Five six one eight two five five. We've got to take a timeout. We'll get to your phone calls as soon as we get back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in uh, Saturday night when Donald Trump was here speaking at uh, the state convention. Of course, we had uh, Lieutenant Governor on Friday. He was there on Saturday as well with the president and... Obviously, critical race theory came up because it's uh, constantly coming up. It's always in our face. First and Freedom Daily had an article on this today. Also, WBT talking about how down in Mecklenburg County, they're having critical race theory homerooms in their public school system. It's here, folks. Five six one eight two five five. Barbie last week called us up to talk about the fact that she was getting ready to go and address this issue down in Onslow County. She is back on the line with a quick report. How are you doing, Barbie?
5: I'm fine. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So, how did it go last week?
5: It went pretty good. I, I was actually talking about unmasking our children. That's
0: right. It's, that's right. Yes. Thank you yes, for the correction.
5: And, um, you know, uh, it is a conservative board. Um, You know, I sent my grandson to camp this morning, and he had to wear a mask, Um, but I did make a lot of phone calls after that, and I um, called it. You mentioned Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, Um, so I called him today. I have not heard back yet from his office, but I um, will continue to call him because I know he's an advocate, um, and uh, he, he has a little more clout than I do. Um, and that uh, governor's office needs to be pushed on this issue. Um, that's where I was told it needs to get pushed at, is at the governor's office. Is so, that basically uh, what
0: the Board of, uh, the board of uh, Education, the, the school board, is that basically what they, they told you when you uh, addressed this issue?
5: No, actually, Greg Murphy's office told me that.
0: Right. Well, I mean, he's he's technically right. I mean, obviously, Greg yeah. Murphy. I know, I know, he'd be in agreement with where you're coming from. But you know, I think in terms of yeah, tactic, I know, but he's correct. I haven't
5: correct. heard back from him at all, and that's very disconcerting. That I, he's a doctor. Um, but I, um, what was very refreshing was yesterday morning. Um, I got a phone call from George Cleveland. Yeah. On a Sunday, yeah. Yeah. he personally called me, and um, he is in total agreement that these kids should be not in masks anymore. Um, so he, I, I forwarded my letter that I had spoke about, you know, to him, and um, you know, maybe he can he can do something. Um, I'm gonna keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until something happens. Um, like I said, in light of uh, Fauci's lies that came out, um, it, it it it's wrong. It's yeah. just totally wrong. Hey, I,
0: Barbie, thanks for the uh, thanks for the update. Thanks for the call. We're uh, just out of time. Sorry about that. Uh, Speaking of Fauci, though, uh, you're absolutely right. Over the weekend, the uh, Gateway Pundit had an article basically uh, giving detail for why Fauci was wrong when it came to um, hydroxychloroquine. That all the things that were said by Fauci about how dangerous and how wrong it was and there was no empirical evidence that it helps. Uh, more and more studies are coming out, and e- emails are revealing that uh, Fauci perhaps knew that hydroxychloroquine would work, and uh, he didn't want it to work. Hey, we got to run. See you tomorrow.